So the Bible reading today, Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. If I can encourage you just to have your Bibles open in front of you as we uh, come to look at that parable of Jesus. And let me, let me pray as we get going. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being in relationship with you. And we pray that uh, you will help us to understand what this parable, what this story means, its impact, its content, that it might set our framework for thinking about how we live in your world, but also that it might help us think about our own lives and how it is you want us to be serving and honouring you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a couple of years ago that we had a family of five staying with us over Christmas. And uh, it was great fun. They were good friends. And then Christmas Eve, uh, they came in with a big box of cherries, you know, which is just, was just terrific. You know, it's the sort of thing guests do when they're staying with you. You know, they contribute towards uh, the food and we enjoyed those cherries. I reckon it was about four or five days later, I was talking with my next door neighbour, Joe. Uh, Joe runs the uh, fruit and veg store around the corner from us, um, Adelaide Fresh. And uh, we were talking for a while, but as we went on, I saw he was getting a bit more sort of, yeah, sort of grumpy with me. You know, and I couldn't work out why. And then eventually he said, look, did, did you get the box of cherries that we put on your front porch? <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, because these people had just come in with the cherries. I just thought they'd bought them. And I didn't even think to thank Joe, my next door neighbour, the fruit and veg guy from around the corner, uh, for giving us this, this gift for Christmas. You know, it, he felt like he'd been taken for granted. Good reason. Yeah, as far as I could, I could tell. Now, have you ever had that experience where you felt like you've been taken for granted? 
So if you're a parent, you definitely have, right? That's, there's no question about that. Have you ever taken someone else for granted and treated them that way? Almost certainly. I mean, it's just, we all know times where we've done that and presumed on others. Jesus told this parable in Matthew 22 to warn us about taking God for granted. Right? That's what it's all about. You pick it up, chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding, wedding banquet for his son. Now, when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven, it's really a shorthand way of talking about friendship with God. That's what's going on. Uh, living with God as your king or under his rule, kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus says is it, it, it's like being invited to the wedding reception of a famous person. You know, a big celebrity bash is what's on view. And you need to understand something of the etiquette associated with this sort of event in the ancient Near East. Uh, a little while ago now, Sue and I were invited to Government House uh, for, to sit in on a, uh, the Australian String Quartet, uh, playing some items, and then for a champagne supper afterwards. So the room was filled with dignitaries and big wigs and Sue and I, okay? So that, that was sort of the nature of the event. Now, here's the protocol for how it worked. The governor's aide rang me up to ask if we would come. Then they sent me the invitation to invite us. Isn't that interesting? They, they didn't want to be snubbed, so make sure we're going to accept, send the invitation, and that invitation has all the details about what you were to wear, you know, black tie, it was formal occasion. That's the way it works, right? The governor didn't call up on Wednesday afternoon saying, Paul, just wonder if you can pop over for pizza and look at the cricket with me tonight. You know, it wasn't one of those sort of events. It was stage prepared. The governor and his wife, they did it proper, right? And uh, Jesus is telling this parable to a hospitality culture. Uh, minor wars could break out over social faux pas in this part of the world. And here the king is throwing a big feast for his son, the heir who's getting, getting married. So it's not just a feast. This is a royal occasion, right? It is a big deal. And the way you treat the king at this point, we're edging into treason if you don't get it right. Not just insult, but treason. So verse 3. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to tell them to come, Okay. Double invite system, which makes sense in this culture. You make sure you know your numbers, you get the food ready, and the numbers turn up uh, for the occasion. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you get 30 extra guests, you can't go and pull, you know, 30 steaks out of the deep freeze and throw them in the microwave. Or go down to Aldi's and get what you need, right? This culture, you needed actually to know what was going on. So the servants, they head up, they round up the guests who've already agreed to come, and then these guests start to make excuses. And some of the guests even kill the servants who come to round them up. It's unthinkably rude and ignorant. And the king destroys the rude guests. And then others are invited. 
Uh, the king, he's going to celebrate. Right? His son is getting married. Nothing's going to stop him. And then we discover in the wedding banquet itself, one of the guests is not dressed properly and he gets thrown out. Okay, so what's this, what's this parable about? Um, you know, why is it placed here? I mean, is this just great advice for millennials? You know, don't be flaky. You know, when you get invited to something, say yes or no. Don't hold out just in case you get a better offer later in the week. You know, that's, I'm not trying to be rude to millennials. People tell me that's what millennials are like. And uh, don't be offended if you are one. But, you know, is it just saying, though, let your yes be yes and your no be no? No, no. It's about being rude to God. Okay, that's what the story is about. And we need to just dig into this a bit more so we can understand what's going on. Jesus, at this point and constantly, he uses parables the way Bible teachers use stories. Okay, there is a point being made. The parable illustrates the point. It just helps people understand complex truths and it helps them be driven home. So the context here is the key to understanding the parable. That is, Jesus has been interacting with people and now he provides an illustration to illustrate what is going on. Okay. So if we're going to understand this parable, we need to understand Matthew 21. And of course you do, you looked at that last week. But remember what happened there. Thousands, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, thousands are acknowledging Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. This is the heartland of the people of God. Then in verses 12 to 13, we're told about Jesus going into the temple and he throws out people who turn the temple into sort of a stock exchange. Um, he said the religious leaders, they're just robbers. They're ripping people off in the name of religion. Then in verse 14, we discover Jesus heals a blind man, verses 15 to 16. What we read there is the chief priest and the scribes they see the wonderful things that Jesus does. They see the wonderful things that Jesus does and they go, this is just terrific. No, they don't, do they? No, no, no. They see the wonderful things that Jesus does and they were indignant. Right? They're upset, sort of outraged, unhappy. And in chapter 21, Jesus tells two parables against these religious leaders and at the end of those two parables, verse 45, we read this. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Right? Not surprising. It wasn't exactly, you know, <laughs> Jesus wasn't being all that careful at this point. But then it's their response, verse 46. And they looked for a way to arrest him. See, here are these religious leaders. God has been promising a Messiah, has been promising to send his son for ages. The son turns up, the bridegroom, God's gift to this people, and they just want to kill him. It is just outrageous. So here in chapter 22, Jesus tells Another parable against these Pharisees, these religious leaders. But it really is a story that highlights the character of God. How does God react when people treat his son Jesus so badly? How should he respond? 
In some ways, it, it, it takes us back to a point where we're thinking about what God is like. And when you think of uh, God, you know, what, what do you think of? What's the image or persona that comes to your mind? You know, do you think of God being sort of intimidating and sort of harsh? Or maybe you have in mind, you know, God, your image of God is like a, a grandfatherly, slightly overweight, pudgy, receptive, woman-friendly, you know, a bit like me with my grandkids, you know. That's, that's, you know, like, is that your image of what God is like? Or maybe you have a sort of a parking inspector God, you know, someone, you get the ticket, put it in the, the windscreen of your car, you go off, do some shopping, the parking meter inspector is just hovering around the corner, waiting for that ticket to expire so they can give you a ticket and uh, earn some revenue. Do you, do you think of God like that, sort of punitive and sort of a payback sort of God? It's interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus and his heavenly father are often portrayed as great party throwers. Great party throwers. Heaven is often described like a massive wedding feast. Great food, plenty to drink, dancing and fun. And you're invited. And it's going to be so good. There's no way you'd want to miss out. Right? Because this is the party of the millennia, millennia, millennia. You know, like this is the place you want to be. But the point of the story, of course, is that people reject this extraordinary invitation. And there are consequences that follow. And there are no good excuses uh, for rejecting the invitation that God gives through his son. I, um, I've been invited to Jack Page's wedding. It's on the 6th of April this year. I've got it stuck on my fridge. All right? that's, uh, that's the story. Now, I've known Jack since he was born. Right? So 30 years old, he was good friends with my kids. And so, you know, he is now about to get, get married. It's a pretty exciting event for Jack, but also for lots of us. They've been hanging out for a couple of years thinking when he was going to take this step, you know. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to it. But say on the day uh, of the wedding, I didn't feel like turning up. Yeah, I just woke up feeling a bit sort of, you know, lethargic, you know, and uh, so I don't go. Then Jack, who notices I'm not at the wedding, gives me a call on the way to the reception and says, Paul, you know, no, you didn't seem to be at the wedding. I'm just making sure you're definitely coming to the reception, you know, for the celebration. I say, oh, Jack, you know, I'd love to be there, but I've noticed that the weeds are getting a bit of out of control in the garden, so I can't make it, you know. I mean, Jack would be full of understanding. Uh, you know, he would think that's the most reasonable excuse on the face of the planet, wouldn't he? He would be angry, right? And rightfully so. Did you pick up on the excuses in the parable? Verse 3. Some just refused to come. Didn't even offer an excuse. Verse 5. One went off to his family. Another went off to his business. Some aren't just sort of in making excuse mode. Some are on the attack, and they kill the servants who have been sent to bring them to the wedding. Now, the religious leaders, they are on view here. And historically, these guys have been hard in their hearts towards God 
over the ages, the prophets he'd sent. Here in Jerusalem, Jesus, the bridegroom, is within days of being crucified on a cross. And they are the architects of what's going on. There are no good excuses. And that brings God's judgment. But it's just. Verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Those religious leaders all through the Old Testament, they reject God's word, they chase idols, they kill the prophets. Now here is God's son. And they said, we'll, we'll kill him too. This is not just a personal affront to God. You see, the rejection of Jesus puts anyone in an enormous black hole. Um, I mentioned, didn't I, uh, when Scott was talking to me, the fact that I had a couple of skin cancers cut out the other, the other day. So one of my, just above my knee, one on my back, I was always expecting it to be the face. That seems to be fine, you know. So, but I went and saw the doctor. He did this, you know, got the thing out, went all over my body, scanned every centimetre of, you know, my body, explained what was going on, said I needed to come in for surgery to get these things cut out. And uh, I said, look, I, you're just a doctor, after all, uh, I think I'll be better off just ignoring what you're saying, you know, and uh, I'm sure it'll be fine, okay? Now, I choose to ignore medical advice at that point. I am a stupid man, right? But it's, it's foolish to respond in that sort of way. Jesus is the solution, God's solution, for a broken world and a broken relationship with God. And the religious leaders say... No. What else is there? What other, what other option is available for a storing relationship with God? Because the answer is there isn't. There isn't. And so, they'll be judged. Now at this point, let me say, this feels like a great spot to stop. Uh, this is a good place to finish the sermon. Pharisees are the bad guys, they'll get in the neck. That's a very comfortable position for us to be in. Uh, but can I say the rest of the parable is for us? Okay, so let's, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Verses 8 to 10. Uh, he says to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited didn't deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Right? This is rent-a-crowd. <laughs> this is what's going on here. This is the people from Hindley Street. This is not just the pollies, the dignitaries, the bigwigs. Uh, the business people and the pastors of churches, right? This is, this is anyone and everyone. This is people like you and me. That's what's going on here. It's a bit like, um, you know, in the university, the uh, people who finish year 12, they uh, get their results. The universities then assess people's marks and put out their first round of offers to people who get the marks to qualify for the courses. 
They then get sort of knockbacks on some of those first round invitations, so they issue second round invitations, so people who had another choice further up their list can be invited to come in and do that. Can I say, second round offers, that's us. <laughs> We're the people who receive the second round offers. We're not part of the people of God, at least I assume not many of us are Jews by lineage, but we all get these second round offers to enter into the kingdom because of what Jesus has done. Aren't you glad you did? If you're a believer, aren't you glad that that's happened? It's a wonderful picture of the unfailing grace and mercy of God. It is just wonderful. What I want to do for just a few moments as I, I just finish is make some observations for us to think about. Uh, things that, that I think emerge from this parable. First thing is this. God will complete his eternal plans. He will do it, okay? Uh, here in Australia, generally in the, the West, we're in decline in terms of the numbers and the percentages of people who put their trust in Jesus. Uh, there seems, I think, over the last 50 or 60 years in Australia to have been a sliding rejection of the wonderful invitation of God. I guess you'd say we're a hard-hearted nation when it comes to our attitude towards God. Here are two thoughts about that. One is we need to, we need to think globally, not just locally. So let me talk about globally. In 2023, the fastest growing percentage of Christians in any countries in the world were in Iran and Afghanistan. Isn't that extraordinary? Africa. We're told that there will be, by 2025, 760 million believers on that continent. Friends, can I just say, God is and will fill up his wedding hall with guests. He will and is doing it. Okay? Let me, let me make a local comment. Uh, what we continue to see is God extending his gracious invitation to people. We see it in, in Adelaide, Mount Barker, South Australia and Australia. The gospel is still going out. And I know for a fact there are people here today who have come to the wedding in this last 12 months, who've been converted and are now celebrating the grace of God. That is happening. And isn't that wonderful to be part of a church where we're seeing that happen on a regular basis? And we, as God's children, we're servants in the story, inviting people in. And that is a privileged position. We don't have the responsibility of whether they'll accept the invitation or not. But we do want to make sure we're extending the invitation. And isn't it? Yeah, it Para Hills this morning, they're kicking off in a new venue. Do you know the reason they're doing that? They ran out of room. They figured we've got to have a place where we can invite people to come and sit under the sound of the gospel and hear the invitation. <coughs> that's why we're doing it. Right? So that's what they're doing. And the hall is... Uh, yeah, ben will back me up on this, but the hall, I think, is almost exactly the same as the one at Mount Barker. Same strengths, same limitations, 
But that's what, I mean, why are you thinking as a church we're going to move to Mount Barker High? Don't you want to create more room so that people can get invited in? No point in having a place for people to come in if there's no room for them to come. Do you know what I mean? It's just a, it's just a practical reality when it comes to the way we operate as servants of the gospel. Don't take God's plans, though, his grace, for granted. Notice in verse 11, the king comes into the feast and he notices a man who's not dressed properly. He says, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? In verse 13, the guy is turfed out. And it's a simple message, really. There are some who accept the invitation and yet are found wanting. Now, whenever I come to this sort of statement in the New Testament, what I inevitably find is that this causes believers to worry about whether they're really saved. And you know the people who worry about it? The people who have a sensitive conscience and a tender heart. And my observation is if you are worried that you might be missing out, you're probably not presuming on God's kindness. Right? It's, it's not really here for you. But having said that, can, can I ask you, if you've accepted this invitation, and maybe you did it years and years and years ago, which, which is a wonderful thing, but can I ask you, are you still delighting in the extraordinary grace of God that he's extended to you to invite you into his family? Is that something that still just echoes in your heart and fills you with extraordinary thankfulness that God in his kindness did that for you through his son? I'm not not saying live at the height of excitement, you know, buzzing around all the time, but I'm saying this is a reality that fuels our sense of who we are and how we function in this world. And if that's the case... Where does it show itself in your life? Well, maybe you're aware that you're, you're hanging on to and treasuring sin in some area. Or possibly you'd say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but there are lots of things in life that I get excited about, uh, lots of things that take my heart. Yeah, you know, travel plans like going to China. You know, you can hear how excited I am about that. But uh, you know, that is. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are things that can occupy your your windscreen, or preoccupation with house, or career, or family, or establishing security in these uncertain times for the future. I guess what I'm saying is, have you become a hobby Christian, where life goes on? And you've got this sort of Jesus hobby on the side. You know, it's, it's real, but just not that significant in the big, big scheme of things. Well, maybe you're here today, and I expect this will certainly be the case. And you would say, well, I haven't really accepted the invitation. You know, I'm aware of it. Uh, and let me, it is great. We love having people who are trying to work out where they sit with God on a regular basis, and that's the case. It's always the case here, and we're very thankful and pleased that you're here doing that. 
But can I just say, be careful. Be really careful. Uh, examine critically the excuses you have for not taking this step. It might be past hurts and you're sort of saying, well, why would God have allowed those things to happen if he's really God? Well, maybe you just think you're too smart for God. That was my problem. You know, when I was going through university, I thought I was way too smart for God, right? There was, you know, Aesop's fables in the Bible, you know, both sort of uh, created stories that you could ignore. You know, I had, you know, I was full of self-confidence and my own ability to think through life and to make it run. Can I say, in the end, there is no solution for eternity that doesn't involve bowing the knee before Jesus. There is none. There is none. There is only one. The bridegroom who comes into Jerusalem to give his life. He is the one. Turn your back on him, you've got nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. I want you to notice how this section finishes. Verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. See, God's wonderful kindness is on display. And Jesus is treated like rubbish. How do you respond when people treat you like rubbish? I'd normally... Exercise a wide berth around them. <laughs> or I, in my mind, because I know it's not socially polite, I construct scenarios where they suffer serious consequences in their life, you know? You know, because I know it's not polite to talk about it. I just did, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't you tend to think that way as you go sort of th through life? Jesus is treated like rubbish. And here he is in Jerusalem about to die on a cross for the people who want him dead. Go figure. So the invitation can keep going out until he returns to undeserving people like you and me. That's what's going on. So friends, can I say, let's, let's make 2024 a year where we keep extending this wonderful invitation to many, urging people to come into the party and join God's family, we can invite. Many are invited. And God will choose. I tell you what, I find that a great relief. I figure I can invite, but I'm really pleased. It's God who works in hearts and calls people into his family. It's a wonderful thing. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in your kindness you've showered us with grace and mercy. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll uh, help us to be ongoingly excited by the grace you've shown us in your Son. We'll relish and delight in it. And Father, we pray that you might go before us, that uh, uh, we'll again be ongoingly excited to keep extending invitations to people around us to come into the kingdom. Father, we know that uh, in some ways the reactions haven't changed over the years. There'll be people who have excuses or even are, are angry uh, or antsy with us uh, for putting Jesus on the agenda. But Father, thank you that, that that's not our job to worry about. Our task is to be faithfully inviting 
And you, by your kindness and mercy, will work in the hearts of the people you are calling into this eternal banquet. Uh, Father, we pray that you might be gracious that we might see many coming into the kingdom this year and rejoice with you as they do. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.